0: am FM News Center.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duvernay are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9, and streaming at AM 1290 KZSB. We're repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and in Montecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution.
2: And we can be reached at 805 564 1290, or you could email us at moneytop1290 at gmail.com. So, Neil, how are you doing today?
1: Well, I'm very excited because we have a really terrific guest for our audience. Um, Why don't you tell us who it is to surprise everybody?
2: So we are thrilled to have with us today Tom Peters, who is a best-selling author as well as a business management expert. Um, His focus is on leadership, and we are thrilled to welcome you to the show, Tom. Thanks so much for being here.
3: Well, thank you for the invitation. I am delighted. So-
1: the first article is actually two articles. I want to bring these together because they actually are both um, quite illuminating in terms of what we've been through the last 10 days. The first article in the Wall Street Journal is entitled The Economy Changed, But, Regu- but Bank Regulation Didn't. And um, it it begins by saying that um, until 2022, um, regulators really weren't focused on the significant increase in in, uh, short-term rates, uh, which it turned out because of the Fed's action rose dramatically. And the second factor is that the Fed also didn't consider the uh, likelihood that banks that had a high percentage of deposits that were from a homogeneous deposit base or um, uninsured uh, could be uh, of risk if there was some type of Bad news floating around. Well, it turned out Silicon Valley Bank had ninety percent, ninety percent of its depositors were over the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar insured limit, and clearly SV, SVPB's uh, uh, depositors were of a clearly a homogeneous base. Uh, many, many higher percentage of them are in the venture capital area. Um, so the combination of that, plus the fact that bankers didn't anticipate that the, not only the, the level of interest rate increases, but also the speed in which it increased, uh, resulted in the bond portfolios of the uh, banks uh, being uh, really hit hard. And while they were carried at amortized costs rather than market, when there was a run at the bank, uh, there was no way to satisfy that need without uh selling bonds at a tremendous loss and even then they would have not had enough to pay off everyone. And you know this is is sort of uh banking 101. Uh, if I may editorialize, you know banking is basically borrowing short term and lending long term. And you know so much of the press has talked about uh the fact that um they were uh guilty of having too much money in bonds. But if you really think about it, banks have to put their money someplace. And the difference between putting your money in bonds that decline in value, um, is really no different from having a loan on your books, uh, that may not be worth what it in fact is, uh, stated at, but unless the loan is not paying interest, you can keep that loan on uh full value and, uh, Basically, the only risk if you borrow short and lend long is a bank run. So, you know, I was the first last week to criticize the banks for acting irresponsibly. Uh, But the reality is, uh, if you have a uh, confidence uh, attack, uh, any bank that has all its money lent long and borrowed short is really going to have... uh, liquidity issues and 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 be subject to the, uh, the possibility of not being able to pay off all depositors.
2: Well, I think that's the real problem, Neil, is that risk management would dictate that you wouldn't have all of your money tied up in long-term bonds. Additionally, that you don't sell off your insurance, better known as credit swaps in the banking industry, in January of this year for a profit and then give yourself bonuses on said profit. You know, the management of Silicon Valley Bank really should be held accountable for their missteps because it could it, it is negligent. Negligent, ugh, negligent, I can't even speak. I'm so riled up about it.
1: Uh well, you, the other article that I think goes with this is the next risk on the horizon is commercial debt. Uh commercial debt um is uh, commercial real estate debt is a total of Uh, 2.3, this was in the Wall Street Journal also, 2.3 trillion dollars in commercial debt is kept at smaller banks. Um, And uh, while, again, as I said before, as long as the lender is, the borrower is paying interest, you just keep it at at the face amount. But the reality is, uh, this year alone, we're expecting this, according to this article, uh, 270 billion dollars in loan in commercial mortgages are going to expire and need to be refinanced. So the next risk on the horizon is if banks, if banks are unable to find either uh, other banks to take them out of their mortgages or unwilling to lend on their mortgages, you could have another crisis as well.
2: Well, and I think you're gonna find a double whammy with the commercial real estate space as there are more and more vacancies in that space. And so when you have owners without renters, you know, the it, it's really, it's really gonna be, they're gonna find themselves between a rock and a hard place to try to refinance it when they don't have income coming in.
1: Uh the next article is off the subject, and, and that is um about uh the fact that we used to think uh, up until a year ago that FANG, F-A-A-N-G stocks, which was you know, Facebook, Apple, um, Uh, uh, were the driving forces in the marketplace. But the article on the front page of two days ago's Wall Street Journal says it's now all about Apple and Microsoft only, that uh, the uh, 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 13.3% increase in the uh, S&P is all accounted for by those two companies. And data uh, platforms, Amazon, Netflix, and the other fang stocks have really lagged behind. So it's really interesting that you know when you think about an index of five hundred stocks, and you think that two stocks alone can make uh, such a significant impact, it uh, really tests the whole idea of the diversification in a, in a, in in buying the whole market.
2: Well, I think <laughs> that that's the reason for the beta. Or, you know, when you think about the, the beta investing where you are doing fundamental investing versus, versus market capitalization investing. And, you know, we've had Rob Arnott on in the past to talk about that. And it, it does provide a, a better, uh, more diversified approach because you're right. When you have two companies, the mega companies, Really dictating the whole return of the um, S and P 500 because you have energy, consumer, everything else is down except for those two mega companies that make up a large percentage of the S and P 500. It does have you sh- it does have you scratching your head and wondering how th- how that can be.
1: Um, and the last article for today is in uh, the Wall Street Journal, uh, our favorite uh, columnist Jason Swag. And he's talking about the Yale model for investing, and you know Yale has been in the news for the last twenty-five years because they've had a spectacular Yale's endowment, spectacular um, performance record. And um, what uh, Jason Swag says is, if you decide what you want to do is copy what Yale does, uh, beware, because the thing that uh, Yale has, which is to invest in, uh, you know, non-publicly traded. Uh, uh, assets, uh, private equity deals, is they have the expertise, the time, the size, the risk tolerance, and a constant flow of new money to make up for the risk of not having liquidity that you may not have investing in those deals. So it's a long article, but basically what it says is don't try to uh, copy Yale and do as well as they do without the characteristics I just read. You're listening
2: to, yes, go ahead. I was just going to say that's so true because Yale has an indefinite period of time. And the fact that they are constantly getting in new money into the endowment really makes a big difference than what an individual's financial needs are.
1: You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back.
5: Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300.
1: Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner.
2: And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. And we're in for a real treat today. We have with us Tom Peters, who is an author and business management expert and actually has run a gamut of different um professions and you know he went to Cornell and got his civil engineering degree. And so how, Tom, did you make it from civil engineering to leadership management and expertise?
3: It's all random. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know darn you know darn well that that that's basically the truth. Uh I have this little well at any rate. The answer is, I I my grandfather was a civil engineer, skipped a generation. I went to Cornell for civil engineering. My parents had no money. The Navy paid my way through. I paid the Navy back with four years, happened to be at the beginning of the Vietnam War. So I went to Vietnam with the uh, combat engineers. And coming out of that, I had no idea what the hell I wanted to do with my life, as was true of all my friends. So we said, what the hell? Why not spend two years at business school? And so I went to the Stanford Business School because the weather was better there than it was in Boston. And uh, after two years there, uh, I still needed a little bit more money to eat. And so I went back to Washington and got this very strange job that would take us the entire hour to describe, but I was on the, uh, the White House uh, drug abuse staff. I was the staff director of the Cabinet Committee on International Narcotics Control. And if you don't understand what that means, neither do I. But come out of Washington, once again, I have no idea what the hell I want to do. Uh and so the word was, hey, why don't you try McKinsey? So I tried McKinsey and to my great delight, they were willing to take me. This is the McKinsey of nineteen seventy-four, as opposed to the one that was helping Purdue Pharma so seriously during the last <laughs> years. That's that's another story and not a trivial story. Uh, I was there for seven years and relative to why you've asked me on the show, um, halfway through that, the big boss of McKinsey, who knew I had just gotten a Stanford PhD in organizational behavior, said, Tom, we've got a problem. We're the smartest people in the world. We invent the smartest strategies in the world and nobody knows how the hell to implement them. Can you tell us what's going on? And so I ran around the world, and to make a very long story, very short, because our time is not infinite. Uh, out, out, out of all that came an unexpected book contract, and out of that came a book with my dear late friend Robert Waterman called In Search of Excellence, and a hell of a lot of people bought it. And, uh, you yeah, know, it's, it's, I mean, I, I've got strong biases about this. It was a good book with perfect timing. I mean just absolutely perfect timing the the bookstores business part of the bookstores were being inundated with books on how do you copy the Japanese because you know the, the Americans had stood alone at the top of the heap and then suddenly we were hit by Nissans and Toyotas almost overnight and people panicked and so Waterman and I said well you know there's a lot of shit that's hit the fan appropriately but there's still a handful of companies that work pretty well in the United States and we wrote about and uh, you know as i said the 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 timing could not have been better
2: well i think it's something to be said that you're you co-founded the organizational effectiveness practice at mckinsey and really that was the the groundbreaking kind of industry creating of consultancy and how to run your business and, and so when you st- when you co-founded that, what were what were you, what was going through your mind, and, and how how old were you at that time?
3: Uh, how old was I? That was probably 1980, so I would have been 38 at that point. Uh, I don't want to diminish the question, but at the time that we founded the practice, we the entire excellence team of about four people. We're in the San Francisco office where I was. And we needed to have a name for our group. And the the practice did not grow to be the monster that it has become today, good or bad monster, not the point in this instance. That that took place over time. I mean, the you know, again, it was the you know, that magical moment within search of excellence, and suddenly people were, you know, somebody said the books, the business book moved from the back of the bookstore to the front of the bookstore and we hit the sweet spot and we were talking about you know behaving well toward one's employees we were talking about behaving with integrity and you know that that became the the centerpiece of it but it was a, it was completely unexpected
1: so you mentioned uh behaving well towards employees uh what is your take on the last 30 years of shareholder value is the only thing that matters and the way that employees are treated or other stakeholders are treated is secondary.
3: That if there were a tenth ring in hell, Milton Friedman would be the first occupant. <laughs> I really think that what was it? September the thirteenth. Here, here's the numer part, partially numerically. September the 13th, 1970. Uh Friedman had an article in the New York Times and said, and literally. I'm probably wrong with a punctuation mark or two. Business has no social responsibility. He used that language per se. Uh, And at that moment in time, 50% of business profits went to shareholders, uh, executives, et cetera. And 50% went to employees and research and development. Jump ahead to about 2016 when McKinsey did a study, and and listen to the numbers, 50-50, and 40 years later, the number was 91-9. 91% of profits went to share buybacks, shareholders, executives, and 9% went to employees, R&D, and so on. I mean, it's a a disgraceful number by by any standard. I I do wanna say one thing and put an asterisk on this, uh, which I always think is important. Unfortunately, the economist invented this term called management guru, and I got labeled as a management guru. But if if there is a group like that, there's one particular sin that we have committed, and that is to focus on the Fortune 500 and the FTSE 100. The real reality is that something like 9.2% of the American private sector workforce works for the Fortune 500, suggesting that... Over ninety percent don't, and the real magic of our economy, in fact, is the so-called SMEs—the small and medium-sized enterprises—and it took me a long time to figure that out. And uh, you know, and and it was a delight to do so because there's all sorts of magic in 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 the world there. But no, Freeman, Freeman is as bad as it gets.
1: Yeah, and you know what's interesting? There was a speech I remember when I went to graduate school that the head of GM president of GM made in 1960 where he talked about the responsibility of General Motors to, to, to take into consideration stakeholders. And I just can't imagine, um, over the last 50 years, many, many, um, uh, chief executive officers would dare to do that without being attacked by, you know, every hedge fund and every, uh, uh, talking head, uh, and, uh, you know, I, the the damage was not just in terms of some economists talking, it was, it changed the way businesses thought.
3: Absolutely. There's no, there's no question about it. Uh, but, and I hate to keep bringing McKinsey up because I'm so pissed off at him about their recent behavior. But the fascinating thing is three or four years ago, they did a study of something like 600 companies, which included 70 or 80% of the GDP, and 167 of those companies, uh, by their measures, invested for the long term, and the rest of them didn't. And the 167 who invested for the long term, the numbers were un, excuse the language, effing believable. Uh, Employee growth, the profitability growth, you name it uh and but as you say it's hard for an executive to do that today because uh, she or he is expected to you know worry about what the hell is going to happen in the next 90 days
1: and what's so ironic is that if somebody reports earnings and part of the reason that earnings increased was because they cut back on r d there's a stock rise. You know people, the securities analysts, don't realize that when you don't have r and d and you're not going to have future growth. So the idea of boosting short-term earnings so that you could get your options executed at a profit at the expense of research and development is so contrary to the whole idea of capitalism
3: yeah i re- I remember one time I spoke to uh, the leadership team of a two or three billion dollar semiconductor company, and Got into a little discussion either before or what have you with the CEO. And he said, Well, I told my board that if they would like to see a 50% profit increase in the next nine months, I can promise them I will deliver it. The problem is I will leave and they'll have to find somebody else to pull it off. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a no-brainer to make those short-term numbers. Look dramatically different than they are today. But the cost, short and long term, is uh, very significant. I want to shift the gear on that, particularly given some other stuff going on. Um, One of the byproducts, I would argue, of what we're talking about is a workforce that is not well tended, a world workforce that is not engaged. There's Gallup data from all over the country and world, uh, 20% of workers feel that they are engaged and 80% don't. Uh, here's, here's what I, when I read that number here or see that number, here's what goes through my head. First of all, if 80% were engaged and 20% weren't, your profit would grow, your market share would grow, everything would be rosier. But in the other half of what the three of us are confronted with every day, if of people were felt emotionally connected to their jobs. They would not be so vulnerable to crazy ass vulnerable or crazy ass ideas of the sort that people are signing up for. I mean, I, I have, you know, I'm not a sociologist. I can't prove that, but I strongly believe that if you were turned on by going to work and you were working with great teammates and developing great products for great customers, the uh, you know the, the the idea of heading for the Capitol on January the sixth would not necessarily have crossed your mind.
1: You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back.
0: Our family has been here for over 30 years. We've always been in the hospitality business. So when we're looking for a bank to finance our deal, American Riviera actually stepped up for us. They know Santa Barbara well. Right now, we don't have any plan to open another hotel. But if we do in the future, we'll be talking to American Riviera Bank for sure. You can bank on American Riviera.
5: We do. American Riviera Bank. Bank on better.
0: Welcome back to The Cat Show. Up next, we have Nico. Nico. Nico is a member of the Shelter Pet group. That's right. A group known especially for their sunspot sleeping, ball chasing, leg rubbing, couch purring, bed leaping, and of course, companionship. Wonderful. And what breed would you say Nico is? I'd have to go with a tabbyish Persian kind of mix. Tremendous cat. I'd also like to point out her coat's wonderful mix of colors. Is it black, grey, grey black, brown? Somewhere in between. Indeed. You know, it's always special when we get to see a cat like this. Just look how she struts. It's actually like owns the place. And how she's so incredibly cute in her indifference to commands. A strong-willed feline. Ah, and see how she curls up and cuddles her person. The pitch on her purring is simply perfect. Nice one. I know. Fantastic cat. Fantastic indeed. But really the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Nico is to meet one. Visit the shelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States and the Ad Council. The first statewide voter registration rule went into effect this month in 1801 in Massachusetts. The practice didn't become widespread until after the Civil War. Today, North Dakota is the lone state without a registration requirement. In 2020, out of a voting age population of 232 million citizens, nearly 73% were registered to vote. The figure for Massachusetts was 64.3%. Profile America is a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau.
1: Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long term financial confidence.
2: And we're speaking with Tom Peters. And if you'd like to reach us, it's 805 564 1290. So, Tom, before the break, you were talking about an engaged workforce and how today we have about 80% that say they are not engaged at work and 20% that are engaged. So for those of us listening that have small businesses, what changes should we be making to create that engagement? Because as you spoke about, it's it's really the small and medium-sized businesses as opposed to the Fortune 500s that are really going to move the needle. It's where the bulk of society works. And yeah. so what tips Sorry. do you have for business owners? Well... Besides, of course, go out and
3: buy your book and search for yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, here's what might sound like an unrelated piece of research a school teacher stands in the doorway as his kids are coming in to class and acknowledges them by name. You know, not a speech or anything like that, but just nods and says, Diane, good to see you this morning. It sounds like the cold's getting better. He does that. And as a result of that, as a daily practice, disciplinary incidents go down by something like 40 percent and academic engagement goes up by 35 or 40 percent. And the reason for using that little story is if people are treated like adults if people are treated like grown ups if people are you know it, it just it, it, it's magic it is pure unmitigated capital m magic you know being thoughtful caring uh we I, i've said to somebody whenever you're talking to an employee remember that you only know 5% about them even if it's been 10 years that they've worked for you you don't what you don't know is that their mother went into a long-term assisted living or what have you people carry this stuff around so uh, uh, you know yeah uh, uh, just uh, you know uh, we've got seven hours i hope left on this specific topic <laughs> uh, there's a guy who runs a biotech company name of which i can't remember at this specific moment and he said the secret to our success is i only hire nice people and he said in some of the degree areas the three of us couldn't even understand what the degree stands for. But he said, I discovered there are a lot of people who have that degree. And some of are nice, you hire people who are thoughtful. You are thoughtful toward the people you're working with. Uh, You train the living bejesus out of them. There was a there's a quote I used that came from Robert Altman, uh, Academy Award winning director, and he said this, and I'm only going to have it approximate because I don't have it in front of my face. The role of the director is to create a space where actresses and actresses, actors can become more than they have ever been before, more than they have ever dreamed of being. And yes, it's Hollywood, but damn it. And this is what I would say to any business owner. That's your model. That's your model. You know, it's people who are, who you are, you are committed to their growth. Uh, you are committed to them as human beings, uh, and magic—literally, magic—occurs. And and frankly, it's not the it is long-term magic, but it's also short-term magic. I mean, you know, instant turnaround.
2: In today's world, where you know kids are home more and more on on devices, creating less and less human interaction between each other where the next generation many of their friends you know it's it's interesting i was reading an article that you know in today's day and age you can make friends who share everything in common with you your interests the books you like the you know you name it you can find them and kids still go to school and who knows if if somebody that they jive with goes to school with them it's like a needle in the haystack but there's less and less human interaction and so how are we going to teach these next generation of leaders thoughtfulness when they lack, you know, I can see my uh, nieces and nephews who are 15 sitting next to their friends and both of them texting other people, you know, how are we going to create that and create that role model for that next generation where technology is such a big part of their human experience?
3: Yeah. Well, and the, the next clause to your sentence is next clause is, and we ain't seen nothing yet, you know, with, uh chat GPT a week later followed by GPT-4 for god's sakes and we're still on in the middle of the first inning relative to AI 20 years from now it's it's really virtually unimaginable um
2: because I find here's what, what
3: here's what I said this is this is an indirect response and I'm not gonna pay the attention I should to the kids. Uh, I, I did a, when the, uh, the pandemic came along, I started doing a whole bunch of podcasts on leadership in the time of the pandemic. And I said, here's the thing. Uh, we've got this work group. I'm the boss of this 20 person work group. We have our meetings two or three times a week. And Diane, God bless her, has been absolutely on time to every single one of the meetings and has contributed and so on. now it's evaluation time. And I'm gonna say, Diane, you know how much I appreciate your work, but do me a favor, do me a favor. I know that your father is having a long-term illness problem. I know that one of your kids has got this kind of difficulty. Do me a favor and please don't be on time so often. You know, please, please please don't keep productivity at the top of your list. Keep being a human at the top of your list. And I said, that's that that's the way you get the evaluation of A+. plus. I don't know. I don't know whether, you know, there's a, a million things have been tried. The kids go to a school where you can't use your devices, et cetera, et cetera. My real answer is I don't have a sweet clue today. And I sure as hell don't have a sweet clue 15 or 20 years from now. I've been having a- yeah spat about this on uh you know on twitter actually within the last 36 hours about but but yeah. let me
1: th- let me throw out though a solution which is not going to likely be something that can be uh spread and that is emotional intelligence teaching. Uh people who are emotionally intelligent are more likely to be good workers and good uh leaders and so many states now are cutting back or eliminating emotional intelligence as part of a curriculum. So I think, you know, we talk about businesses not being with a program. Uh, What my fear is, is that states like Florida and Texas are making it less likely that we're going to get young people who are thoughtful and are thinking the way we're thinking. They're only going to be thinking in the same way some of these corporations are. Without emotional intelligence, you can't succeed. You know, people... Uh, who are just smart but aren't able to get along with people? Aren't never succeed. It's the people who can get along with. Anyway, the, I, I'm pretty pessimistic because of what I see in the education. And
3: on that yeah, note, and, and it's getting worse. Yeah. If you, I don't know whether "worse" is the right word, but well, I think the pendulum. But the EI stuff is particularly, I think, vulnerable to some of the woke issues that we're having now right. and so on it's softer than the mayflower landed on the 20th or landed on in 1620 so it's it's right. getting tougher and tougher to do it i i agree with you i to be very selfish about it and and move away which is never appropriate from the kids back to our guy with the biotech company within your four-person company low-tech high-tech or 44-person company you can f- fix it And you can start the fix tomorrow by the sorts of people that you hire and very explicitly. I mean, there was a, there was a study that was done at the university of Pennsylvania and it was a home care group and they had, among other things, their employee turnover was 70%. And so they started doing this kind of analysis, that kind of analysis, but they changed the entire recruitment process. And instead of just looking at your CV, we would have a, coffee clutch and we would observe you as a human being and what happened out of this was first of all and listen to the numbers the number 70 70 a year attrition went to 1.7 percent and it's what you just said it's when we you know they would they would ask people you know you know what do you do for the community boy scouts girl scouts you know raise money for this they were they were looking for the full human being and as the leader said we we got off of this degree kick and started focusing on the human being so that's probably
1: a good way to for to find a wife or a husband you're listening to money talk on AM 1290 and 96.9 FM and we'll be right back <laughs> The Friendship Center offers an adult daycare program that provides social contact, engaging activities, and nourishing meals for our dependent senior citizens.
2: Here's Heidi Holly. It gives me such pleasure to see the activities and the seniors engaged with their peers. And I think that's what's really important about our program is that socialization. Friendship Center offers an adult day program Monday through Friday for our maturing adults. We are the alternative to being placed in a long-term care facility. The majority of our people who have some memory challenges like Alzheimer's and dementia and other health conditions. Dishes. We're located in Montecito across the street from beautiful All Saints Episcopal Church. Our phone number is 805-969-0859 or go to our website at friendshipcentersb.org. We are a happy place. When
1: I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I liked things to always be the same. Anything new or different would scare and upset me. I was very sensitive to lights and sounds. It was almost like I had bigger eyes and ears than everyone else. So I built secret hiding places where nothing could get in. I didn't like looking people in the eye. It made me feel uncomfortable. I'd throw big tantrums over little things like when my socks didn't match.
0: Sometimes I'd do the same things over and over
5: until one day I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. You can see signs of autism in children as young as 18 months. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.
1: Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about.
2: So, before the break, Tom, we were talking about just being human, is and is that what you mean in your books when you talk about being an extreme extreme humanism? You know, being thoughtful, being having some emotional intelligence you know, making people feel like they matter.
3: That's that's exactly what I mean. And again, you know, bring it back to the hard nose part. And it works. And it pays. And it doesn't pay in the long term. It pays in the short term, the medium term, and the long term. These are not lovely, charming ideas that get you into heaven. These are ideas that improve productivity, that improve quality, that improve innovativeness, And by this time in the world uh, or that world, we have got enough data to sink a ship, which says that that is the case. Uh, So yes, extreme extreme humanism.
2: So now do you think that that can be taught? Do you think those leadership skills can be taught to people who have grown up, you know, the narcissism, the narcissists among us, this emotional intelligence, being human, caring about other people? Can that be a learned behavior?
3: I'm not the expert, so I'm not going to pretend to, you know, muster 87 academic articles. But my answer is twofold. Uh, And as opposed to the future of that individual named Diane or Tom, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about my company. Uh, I want to hire the people who are disposed in that direction, for starters. That's what I want to do. But the... The more positive uh, possibility is if the leader is thoughtful and engaging and caring, it's going to rub off to a dramatic degree over the mid to long term. I mean, I just have absolutely no doubt that that that's the case. it's again, it's, it's standing under the doorway, smiling and recognizing. P, P, there, there's, there's a, I, w- I wish I could remember all the quotes, quotes that I have on my 80 million slides, but one of them who comes from William or Henry James basically says, the number one thing that people crave, and he is specific about using the word crave, is acknowledgement. Just the notion that you're here, the notion that I'm pleased to see you when you walk in in the morning. You know, I had a I had a consulting company in Palo Alto, and it was it was small. But one year we uh, or you know the end the end of the year, the end of the quarter, whatever the hell it was, we had bonus time, and so we had had some good sales, and salespeople got pretty sizable bonuses. And you know, it's coming to an end, and I said, well, one last item on this list, and that is the biggest bonus this year is going to Diane our receptionist because the simple fact of the matter is that if a client comes into our office and is waiting for a meeting and sits there with diane for 20 minutes there is no way in hell that she or he is not going to buy the product afterwards and you know it was a it was a We, we I obviously i was deadly serious about it but i i, I don't i i think i think between child rearing and genes, there is a lot of it that's locked in, but I really do believe that you can make very, very dramatic differences uh, as a function of the quote-unquote little, which are actually the big everyday behaviors. You've written a
1: new book about extreme uh, humanism. Uh, can you tell us about that?
3: Well, it's called The Tom Peters' Compact Guide to Excellence. It is bright red and cover. It is very short, uh, and it basically, you know, is a is a summary of a summary of a summary. It's my twentieth book. Uh, I don't do much interpretation. I let the ball be carried by others. For example, here's this occupies a full page, and it also is back to what Diane and I were just talking about. Uh, Henry Clay, the statesman. I used this as a book epigraph a couple of years ago. Cur- Listen to the words exactly. Courtesies of a small and trivial character are the ones which strike deepest in the grateful and appreciating heart. Uh, yeah. What if you took that sentence literally? What if you took that sentence literally? But this is a summary. It's I did it with Nancy Green as a co-author who is one of the world's top designers my words were incidental she transformed it into something that i think really does have emotional impact because of the color the layout and so on and so forth uh, by the way look looking at my screen seeing diane one thing i do want to say relative to what i've done for the last whatever number of years uh, the woman who ran my training company in 1996 called a meeting in boston we were in palo alto and she said, Tom, you're coming to Boston and you are going to be lectured to by six women who I have chosen to lecture you lecture to you about the degree to which you have no idea what the hell it's like to be a woman as a customer, a woman in the works, <laughs> and so on. And she had a crowd. There was a you know a domain home fashions. Judy George, the founder, was there. The woman, for God's sakes, who was the first Indy 500 driver was there. And they just beat the shit out of me. <laughs> Two and a half hours. And my life was never the same. I mean, you know, and and I I really do believe that a dramatic and there's the the numbers are there again. The numbers are there again. Uh, Basically, numbers say that when you have got a significantly higher share of women in leadership position, your effing performance improves, and it improves dramatically. If they're significant, I mean, good God, talk about the crap that's going on now. what, what, what was it? Silicon Valley Bank failed because we had too many women and a person of color. Wasn't that on the board of directors? I mean, Jesus, <laughs> not how low can you go? It's just how, how much can my old brain handle? But I it's it's been it's been a campaign of mine for 30 years. And it's not because of anything other than women. The research is solid and clear and significant. Women, on average, are better leaders than men with better results as a result thereof.
1: You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9. And believe it or not, we'll be right back with our final segment.
0: American Riviera Bank is actually really good offering the loan to small businesses The customer
2: service that Renee gave, it was amazing. She actually gave us step by step. She helped me with every single step on the paperwork. She was great.
3: We found a great bank, and now we have a
0: great coffee shop. You can bank on American Riviera. We do.
5: American Riviera Bank. Bank on better.
0: March is National Peanut Month, celebrating one of the nation's favorite foods. Primarily grown in the South, there are about 7,000 peanut farmers in the nation. These farms account for about 2% of the world's peanut acreage, but due to higher yields, over 5% of the world's crop. Nearly half of peanut butter exports go to Canada and the European Union. Profile America is a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau.
1: Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So, and so a uh, so, uh, quick question: You know, we when we look at what happened in the in the banking crisis over the last uh, few days, um, you could have written that in 1873 when they had a banking crisis are our business people not only not sensitive because they don't understand emotional intelligence, are they stupid? I mean, are they just not not read history? What, what is the deal here? It it didn't take rocket science. You could have looked the list the last 30 years. This stuff keeps happening and happening.
3: I obviously haven't got a good answer to that, (laughs) Uh, but I would argue you implied it with what you said that having had, a serious course or two on financial history taught by somebody smart would have made a difference. I think people are uneducated. I think people who are leading banks are uneducated in that regard.
2: And so what would you propose them to do at this point? You know, we now have this dividing line of banks above $250 billion are, are well-regulated, below $250 billion. What can they do at this point to ensure this isn't going to happen again and again? Uh,
3: the financial service sector is an area where my expertise is as close to zero as is humanly possible <laughs> to measure, uh, so I cannot give you a good answer. Uh, So, I, you know, so- I, I lived for 30 years in Silicon Valley. I lived through the dot com boom. I watched jillions of people with IQs of 297 mm-hmm. make the stupidest mistakes known to humankind because they believed that there would be the only thing that could happen tomorrow would be that it was better than today. Uh, yeah, part, part of it again, and I and I know this sounds like a broken record, even though we haven't been talking about it forever. Is hire a few more English majors, theater majors, literature majors, uh, history majors, and a few less engineers. You know, there and and there is again research on that that says, the, the it, 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 this is this is research that I love, uh, done by a Canadian, by the name of Henry Mintzberg, who I completely trust. At graduation, with this big study group that he did at graduation uh engineers and other technically trained people got twice as many job offers as the liberal arts people and got those job offers at 50 percent more starting income by year 20 the liberal arts people had left the engineers in the dust because once you once you get into the real world suddenly it's all about people it's not all about coding
1: um Tom thank you so much uh for for being our guest uh you've done some incredible work uh, that has really helped American business uh and 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 helping us understand what you've been doing is um is really uh terrific everyone is listening the new book is is on extreme humanism is available I'm sure on Amazon
3: and the name of it again is uh there are two of them one of them is. Uh, excellence now extreme humanism and the other one is tom peter's compact guide to excellence feel free to buy both
1: thanks thank you so much tom and thank you all for listening you've been listening to money talk and we'll see you all next week